Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome to the Clark Blue Podcast. My name is Dan Rowan, so I'm joined this evening by John Townley. You might tell I've got a gravelly voice. I've been ill for the last few days over Christmas, which is lovely, as you can imagine. Uh, I'm not joined by Matt Kendrick tonight. He's apparently got a, a New Year's Day party, which is not a thing. He's definitely just trying to, to worm his way out of the first podcast of the new year. But he's not here. John, you are to talk about a big, big three points for Aston Villa on the road against Tottenham. Uh, first of all, are you in better health than I am? You're okay? I am, yeah. I've managed to avoid the, uh, the sickness. Yeah, it's going round, isn't it? Over the last like, mm. couple of months. Luckily, so far, Touchwood, I haven't had it. Yeah, hopefully you feel better soon, Dan. What a way to start the new year. Yeah, well, watching Villa win at Spurs away and getting three points there in a big game is a nice start. Um, a lot of comments already, Sam, but yes, Spurs were awful. They were, and there were a lot of folks on the TV coverage actually was about, yeah, but Spurs weren't this, Spurs weren't that. So oh, I don't care about any of that. Villa won, Villa, Villa played well in, in spells, I thought. What's your kind of general assessment of the game for me? Yeah, uh, <laughs> not wrong. Spurs were awful, and I think they have been for some time now under Conte. Uh, but no, all the credit comes to us though, doesn't it? Because mm. although those have been bad, they've conceded the first goal in each of their last 10 games now. So nine before Villa. Yeah. But they were still, I believe they were still in the top four. Or, you know, they're in and around it, aren't they? They're still up there. They're not where Chelsea were a couple of weeks ago or before the World Cup when they were like eighth. Um, so it's still a top team. They were missing Benton Core and Kulazesi today and they're two of their mm-hmm. players. Uh, Kane, Son they've got world class players across the pitch they're Champions League team we've gone there and done a job on them haven't we in the first half it was uh, it was pretty dull as a neutral I can imagine that being really boring you'd probably turn it over but for us I think that was the game plan you know stay, uh, stay in it again score the first mm-hmm. goal I suppose usually do concede but they come on stronger but as soon as we got one goal ahead and then a second goal that was the vital goal for me because I think that probably kicked them a little bit you know they did uh, come back against Brentford didn't they in a similar situation than what they were against you know us today um, but we were prepared for it weren't we Emery made changes a lot of them as well really maximised the five subs and yeah we are you know it's not that we took the game to them but we knew that it was there for the taking I think Emery said after the game that that was the plan uh, can we go and win because yes it's a top four team top six team Uh but there's, that doesn't mean we can't go there and show what we're about. We've beaten Man United, we've beaten Brighton, who were seventh or were seventh. And we should have probably got some out of Liverpool as well because we competed very well to them. And now we've got nine points out of 12 in a really you know tough run of games that was. Four really hard opening games for Emery. Now we're going to Wolves in a couple of days' time. Can we make it? What would that be? 12 out of 15 points? That'll be a, you know, some, um, some, some start for, for the new manager. That just before we started, we said let's start put some bullet points down of like talking points we want to go through. Then you pretty much ticked off every talking point in, in the first answer. Um, let's go back uh, just before you mentioned like Spurs is um, you know, conceding first every game kind of thing. One of the commentators brought up that I think Harry, Harry Kane scored in each of his last seven games, obviously up until today. 
Uh, he didn't have a touch for about 20 minutes, which I thought was interesting that he wasn't involved in the game at, at all. And we kind of restricted his ability to get on the ball and, and make things happen and, and drop deep. And only Man United before today were the last team to stop Spurs from scoring. They do score a lot of goals. I think there was a, at one point they flashed up all the results and there was a lot of like two threes, four twos, like a lot of high scoring games. So for us to keep a clean sheet with Robin Olsen as well, when I mean, he deserves some kind of credit here yeah, after the last podcast where we're all kind of bashing him a little bit. And still, people will still have a, a little bit of opinion of Robin Olsen that he's not good enough. But credit where credit is due today, he has kept the clean sheet as much as Spurs didn't offer much either. Just on the, the Martinez. Olsen situation obviously me and Matt did the podcast after Liverpool and we kind of understood he's been given a time off he's won this trophy that he'll probably only win once in his career it's a big deal let him celebrate it was over Christmas a lot of travelling give him the time off understandable but let's have him back for Spurs I was a little bit disappointed to see him on the bench and obviously this is all before before the result don't care now because we've won so it doesn't matter but to see Olsen playing again I thought was a, a slight concern I thought well if Kane and Son are firing they could have a field day here. Why is Emmy Martinez still not back in and ready and fit? Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of people saying about like, the training photos of him in the last couple of days, very bleary-eyed. It looks like he's still uh, still still suffering from a hangover of some sorts. But he's still the number one. He still should be back in as soon as he, as soon as he is. And I thought that was going to be a, a real problem for us today. Did you feel the same way before kickoff as well? Yeah, I did. And to be fair, I think we were probably caught up with it when Emery did his press conference for the Liverpool game. It was... Uh, you know, Martinez will be back next Thursday. He'll train Friday. It seems to be a kind of oh, that'll be fine because he has three or four days before the yeah. uh, game. But and there's and been previous times where he's like flown back from international duty like within the 24 hours of a game and still played. So I thought that it was that was all building up to being he's had a day here. He'll train here and then he'll play Sunday. And yeah. I don't know whether that was maybe a little bit of mind games for, from from a Spurs perspective to to not know which keeper would be in there. But yeah, like I said, I was worried to see Olsen to begin with. So to come away from from the game with a clean sheet is, yeah, hats off to him. Yeah, exactly. And the, I suppose the difference between previously was Martinez has been off for a week and probably not mm. stuck to nutrition or all of that's gone out the window. And that does play a big, play a big part because it is a mentality issue now. Whether, you know, you say he's only been in the country for a couple of days. He's, is he fit? No, he isn't fit. So if he's, you know, he's not going to start, if he's not going to, sorry, if Emery doesn't feel that he is going to be in a better position than what a fully fit Robin Olsen would be. So credit to Emery, that's a big risk, isn't it? Because I think anyone else would have just chucked Martinez in and thought, well, if Martinez makes a mistake, that's on him and it's not going to come back on me. Mm. Uh, but no, yeah, fair play to Robin Olsen. He didn't look uh, you know, out of place or uncomfortable like he might have done in previous games. Though I think there was a couple of moments where he was a bit shaky on the ball. But mm. uh, I think he's 30 or 31 now at that age. You're not going to suddenly learn how to play out from the back or become you know a master at throw that. on him he had a big long yeah. throw up to the halfway line at one point which, which was nice I thought uh, we're kind of talking about <clears throat> him kind of getting a clean sheet but I can't really remember any quality Spurs no. chances that he saved but I thought he commanded commanded his area a little bit better this this game he kind of came and, and gathered a few crosses or, or set pieces where I thought okay right there is some kind of trust there that he can come and collect things um, just on a similar vein to, to the Martinez I also think what do you make of the Matty Cash situation Obviously, he didn't get as far as Martinez no. did in the World Cup, but he's not he's not started in either of the games back so far yet, Liverpool and Spurs. Yeah. Ash Young's been given the nod right back in, in both games over him, which to be fair, Ash Young's a talking point. He deserves some praise as well, and, and rightly so, he's probably earned the shirt. But Cash is the number one right back. Ash Young's been playing at left back when Dean was injured. Cash has come on as a, as a sub and played further forward than Ash Young. 
how do you assess that kind of situation and where Cash fits in now going forward? Does he now come back as the, the first choice right back at some point? Or does 38, Asher Young, who's keeping up with Son and, and you know really going, going toe-to-toe with elite-level Premier League players, yeah. does he just stay there now for the foreseeable? I'd assess it as Unai Emery has walked into a squad of, how what, 24 players? Is that something that we have? Um, and no one is guaranteed a start, and that's how it should be. You know, We'd probably be saying the same thing if John McGinn, or sorry, if... Uh, uh, Jacob Ramsey was still fit. John McGinn might not be playing and we'd be having that conversation now. So it's just competition for places. And at the moment, as you say, Dan Ashley Young today uh, was quality again. And if you take his age away, it's almost like, well, he is the best player yeah. or best form player that we have in that position, in my opinion, as well. Um, and that's no you know, discredit to Matty Cash because he has come back from the World Cup and he's missed two or three weeks of training with Emery. Uh during that time, um, uh, Ashley Young's been, you know, involved and been learning from him mm. uh, that time. Maybe in the next couple of weeks, and when Matty Cash is fully up to speed in terms of what Emery wants from that position, uh, he can, you know, stake a claim for his shirt again. Uh, but you know, against Wolves, who is he going to pick, Matty Cash or Ashley Young? If they're both fully fit, I would have probably said Ashley Young because mm. he hasn't put it wrong. You know, there's no point in taking players out just because we've signed them to start. Um, under Stephen Gerrard or under Dean Smith, this is Emery's team now, and it's his. You know, it, it's it, it's his squad of players. He will choose what he wants, uh, and he will you know apply those instructions to how he sees fit. And you know, in a game like today, Ashley Young, I probably thought he's a better defender than Matty Cash. One on one, he's more experienced, more more astute, in my opinion. And against a player like Human Son, against other uh, players like those, I don't think he's you know put a foot wrong again today. And bringing Matty Cash off the bench, you know, worked as well because he can double up and you yeah. know lock down that flank as such something that you probably couldn't do if Ashley Young was coming off the bench because it's different you know it's another you know, situation to deal with but Ashley Young's been brilliant and Matt Cash has got a you know a fight on his hands to, to you know to come back in the team now mm, a lot of talk isn't about like starters and finishers and it's not necessarily about a player that starts the game but if somebody can come on and, and affect it off the bench that's a vital role in football especially with the five subs yeah. how key was the moment when Ashley Young clears off the line just before the, the break, if that's 1-0 Spurs at half-time, is that yep. a totally different game then? That, I mean, it's, I'm obviously asking you a hypothetical question, but that's such an important moment. And then I don't know whether you can just isolate it and go, well, if Cash was playing, is he in that position? Does Cash save that ball off the line? You know, you'll, you'll never know. But just the experience of Young being in the right place at the right time, covering, being a defensive fullback rather than an, an attacking player, I think we look more resilient, more organised in the last three or four games under Emery than we have for a long time, not just under Steven Gerrard. Yeah, no, bang on. I completely <laughs> missed out from, from my mind. <laughs> no, but that, that's what I'm trying to sum up, yeah. It's little moments like those that you say, oh, well done, Ashley Young. But then it's almost um, it's sort of underappreciating it because it's like, oh yeah, of course he's going to be on the line. But would he mm. be? Who else is going to think to be on the line there? Um, why would you not cover the back post instead of going on that? So yeah, again, massive respect for Ashley Young for what he's done for the last two years as well because when he first joined I thought he was here just for a year and he was almost yeah. like a long come back to Villa uh, after winning the um, Serie A with Inter Milan but he's almost made himself a little like mini sort of renaissance again which is brilliant to see because I wonder how opposition fans view it as well seeing Ashley Young come back to the Premier League again playing at right back almost out of position as we know him um, keeping Matty Cash out of the team under Unai Emery you know it's you know, you, you wouldn't have thought that would be the case, but no, fair play to him again. Really good uh, today, and hopefully against Wolves, he can continue that. Hmm. I want to talk about a player that <laughs> it hasn't featured at the moment, which is probably a strange topic to go down before talking about the players that did play. But yeah. Jacob Ramsey, 
do we first of all do we know anything more about the injury that he's suffering with and secondly again it's just a topic of conversation that happens during the game or pre-game we think we miss a bit of Jacob Ramsey we miss somebody that can carry the ball forward we, we kind of look pretty organised at the back we might have a long ball over to a, a forward in Bailey or Watkins and they might half create a chance and come to nothing but we miss somebody who can kind of link things up from, from defence to attack and run with the ball that kind of leads on to a point that we don't really miss them because we've won and Kamara and Louise have played very well. But just firstly on Ramsey and the injury, how much of a miss is that and how much longer will he be unavailable for? Do we know? No, I need to clear my throat. Yeah, uh, I asked Unamri about Ramsey, uh, would have been last week before Liverpool. And he said, because it was before uh, Dubai that he picked up a hamstring injury, which no one really knew of because obviously the World Cup was going on. Uh, and he will be back hopefully or in contention for Leeds, I think is the mm. is the word, because he's going to miss, or he has missed the last two games, and then he's going to miss a third game, which is going to be Wolves. It was between uh, one week and 10 days, I think is what Emery said, or 10 days and two weeks uh, last week. So yeah, hopefully Leeds, but I doubt he'd be starting in that game. So hopefully, mm. let's call it February or the end of January. Um, but say so I, I get your point that he's been a miss because we haven't, we don't have that player who can take the ball and, you know, move with it almost, almost like we had with Grealish in a way that that player that can carry the ball and just move over a few yards, take someone out of the game, offload it, and you know more space further up the pitch. We don't have that player without him, uh, so we do miss him. Uh, but no, you know, today we've compensated for, uh, without him. Well, we we did that as uh, Leon Bailey missed Brighton, didn't he? So Emery's shown that he can. While we have a very set way of playing, it's also very flexible in the players that we use. We can take things here and there and players can drop in and out, which is good as well for you know, if players are out of confidence, keep them out, bring someone else in. We can adapt away the way that we play so slightly to suit you know, players coming in and, in and out of the squad. So no, that's only a positive thing. But on Ramsey, uh, end of January, I would have thought. Talk to me about Kamara then. How good is he? Well, we've talked about him loads of times. Of, of what I've kind of, you know, done those posts of, you know, here's your reminder that we signed this guy on a free contract and all these kind of things, hyping him up. How good is he? And also Douglas Louise, who looks, you know, obviously had doubters for, for a lot of periods. He looks like he's gone up a level over the last hmm. know, three, four months as well. Just, yeah, talk, just talk to you about those two. Yeah, I called it mustard in, in a pre-season. <laughs> so... We haven't seen that for quite a long time. It, just the two of them as well in that little pivot. It, you know, mm. it's perfect blend almost because both of them don't mind getting, um, you know, being dirty with tackles. Obviously, Louise played that number six position for, what, like three years? Under yeah, two, three seasons, yeah. Yeah. Um, although that's not his, uh, uh, his uh, you know, the position he wants to be playing in. He's now almost learned the ropes of it mm. <laughs> under Gerard and Smith in different, uh, in different games. So he knows the responsibilities of it, but then also with Kamara adding protection, you can go forward, Kamara can go forward. And the best thing about it is that both of them can keep the ball and control the ball, move the ball so well. Um, they, they rarely give it away. I think Kamara had 85% pass accuracy or something today and uh, 100% of his dribbles completed as well. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen AVFC Stato do like a big tweet of all his numbers and they, they all look good. And it's like, what a player. Completely 100% of your dribbles away at Tottenham. 100% of them, I don't know how many there were, but in a 90 minute, it's hard to fathom really when you think about it because you're always in tight spaces, uh, not a lot of room to work in. We're always in our final, uh, sorry, not in our final third, in our defensive third for most of the game, or at least Kamara was, you know, not a lot of space and to have the kind of mm. capacity and the sort of, um, you know, the cool head just to dribble out those positions and situations. What is he, 21, 22? It's mad. Like, it's on a yeah. I don't want to say it, 
I'm going to say it. Um, <laughs> when the, the obvious, the obvious is going to happen. We can't kid ourselves. The guy is a top quality player. He's a Champions League player. I don't want to say it, but when the obvious happens, let's just say we've made a lot of money. Um, hopefully we won't have to come to that, but that's what Villa need to be. We need to be a team that can take those top players. Can they excel for us, make us better? And then, you know, it's about replenishing it as well from there on. But he's a, yeah, he's, a, he's an excellent player. And while we do have him, we need to make use of him, you know, build a team around him, let Emery use him as, as the base of that midfield. Louise obviously compliments him really well and we've tied him down to a new long-term contract. So both of them together, that's a lot of money and it's a very expensive midfield, probably the best midfield we've had since, well, since we were last in European football, I suppose. Um, mm. But no, we need to look at because they're so modern as well in the way that they do it. As I say, it's not just... And young you know, as well. Even even Doug Soiz is, what, 23, 24 maybe? Like, you're not talking about Kamara's coming in and played well alongside an experienced pro. Yeah. You know, there's a 32-year-old James Milner in there kind of teaching in the ropes. This is a, the young yeah. midfield and a young squad with the responsibility of, you know, you're the, the two in midfield, the three in midfield to, to control games and to do it with such ease and make it look easy is, yeah, like I say, frightening. <laughs> Um, boo to you by the way for even suggesting that we might lose him one day but yes it is a realistic situation if he was to go how much is he worth because you know the free contract thing is a bit of a, a thing isn't it to say oh we sign him on a free his wages and the bonuses and the agent fees and stuff would have been astronomical there's a reason why he's not at Man United or Liverpool or whatever because it's a package as a whole that will be very expensive but I don't care about his hours and, and, and that's a great thing so if he was to be sold at some point 70 million, 80 million. What, <laughs> what's this guy's ceiling? If you look at something in the comments, said Basuma being worth 25, 35 million. He's twice the player of Basuma. Well, Basuma's contract was running out. If you remember in the start of the year, we were wanted Basuma, didn't we? And I think we were quoted like 45, so we said no because we knew we Kamara's coming up as a free. Mm. That fair play to Villa on that one. Um, yeah. I, I mean, between him and Douglas Louise, that's over 100 million. If you want to look like that, we've got a 100 million pound midfield and plus. Uh, it's whatever Villa want. I mean, obviously, we're not going to be selling him anytime soon. Um, but in, in a way that he's going, he has to be worth upwards of 60-plus because at the moment, he looks like that player. Mm-hmm. If he gets better over the course of a couple of Premier League seasons, he's going to be a French international, one of the players in Deschamps' squad, if he's still the manager there. And he's going to be a top-four team that's chasing him, a team that's going yeah. for the Premier League title, probably, or someone else in Europe that's going for their league title. It's massive money, whatever it is. So yeah, fair play to Villa to uh, to be in the competition for him and say so, nailing Louise down to a long term contract as well because I didn't think that was going to be um, an easy task. Uh, but no, the midfield itself easily 100 million plus, which is um, which is great news. Yeah, no, Louise 24, Kamara 23. Just a couple of stats quickly from Stato. These were posted on Twitter. Douglas Louise's numbers first. I'll just pick a few because there's a load of selection of stats. 92% passing accuracy, 100% shooting accuracy, 68 touches, two out of three accurate long balls, one clearance, two interceptions, nine ball recoveries. And Kamara, uh, one chance created, 68 touches, 100% successful dribbles, like you mentioned. Two tackles won, the most. One block, three interceptions, eight ground duels won. Uh, I could go on and on. The, the stats are, are great for both. Um, just talk me through both the goals, and we'll talk about Ollie Watkins specifically in a second. But I thought, as much as the first goal wasn't as nice a move as the second, I still thought that was a, a good goal in the way it was created. And that and Douglas Suiz takes a bit of a pop shot, and, and Larice handles it terribly frankly he should, he should just be gathering that and Tottenham break and that's the end of it but Ollie Watkins is, is alert to the danger first ahead of the Spurs defence so I thought as much as you know we haven't been free flowing and created 10 clear cut chances or anything Villa today 
all of the back three for Spurs got booked. Like we we had their number basically, and as much as it didn't create loads of chances, we were. I don't even want to say that we were the better team going forward, but I felt like we had enough to, to hurt them in some aspects. Yeah. Tyler yeah. oh, yeah, Watkins is, is sharp enough to that and then wise enough to not try and shoot from a tight angle to turn back and, and play the ball to Brendier who's just got a, a tap in. And like I say, it's not a sexy goal, but it's a, a nicely worked, clever goal, I guess. Yeah, we made it look easy. It's just just to have a go. <laughs> yeah, well, from the moment that Willary spills it before then Watkins is off the mark and he's had a bit of stick for not being, you know, a poacher or being in the right positions. There was that one uh, against Liverpool. Someone's headed it across the box and he's not in the six-yard area and he probably should have been. But this mm-hmm. time he was. Uh, he was there to follow it up first there. Good first touch. And as you say, his awareness just to pull it back for Wendy. That's probably harder than what it looked in the moment. Any other striker would want to take that and turn around and shoot and then the moment's gone. So, um, yeah, fair play to Watkins. And we, that no one would probably be speaking about it if Lurie spilt it and the defence cleared it. But instead, mm. it was, you know, Watkins to say. Watkins you make your own opportunities, don't you? If Watkins yeah. isn't quick off the mark or there's no one there to, to for him to play it back to in Brendia, you know, Watkins, it, <laughs> the, the irony here would be if Watkins is clever enough to turn around and play it back, but the, the midfield runner isn't there, you'd be going, why didn't he shoot? Yeah. Shooting, just try and win a corner at least just try and hit the target so you've got to have Brendia being there as well and just having that you know these players flooding forward to being there in support in just in case something happens and that's something yeah. we've not seen in Villa in years gone by we, we don't hope that something will happen and try and force something mm-hmm. we just kind of have to rely on a bit of magic yeah and so that's almost part of the structure I know we, the goal wasn't that great so we can't go on it too much but it's almost you know applauding the structure of the team as well because we have those two sitters in Kamara and Louise mm. which means that in those attacking situations we have four players going for it. You've got Watkins in a strike partner, which is Leon Bailey usually, and then John McGinn's coming out of the one side, Buendia from the other. So you've always got players in, you know, if, if you if you think about it, if you're in one of the positions going forward, if you look right or left or forward, you're going to have a teammate rather than in a different formation, a 4-3-3 maybe, if you're on the wing and you look forward and there's no strike, it, you know, it gets complicated then. So to have players, just bodies around the box, it makes problems, as we've seen mm-hmm. for that first goal. Um, so yeah, just uh, before we go into the second goal, just on Watkins, I can't hear from Tommy, so I think Watkins deserves some credit. Led the, led, the, <clears throat> led the line very well despite his suspect finishing. And that is the talking point with Watkins. The finishing is, is always a problem. He had the chance, doesn't he, where he, he, he holds his run and stays on side and runs the length of the half. But the whole way there, you're thinking, I don't back him to score. And that, that's a shame. I don't, that's not a striker that's going to take us to the next level where I'm doubting his ability to finish one-on-one. He has got to get better than that or Villa rather harshly, but potentially, if you want to look at it that way, need to replace him with somebody who can finish more chances than Watkins does. But for now, he's in the side, he's playing, he's, he's, I think he's a vital part in kind of the co- a cog in the whole system of whatever our attacking thing is, that he's either stretching the player or he's going to do a, pu- a pullback like he did for Brendier today. But what do you make of him overall? Because I probably think we need to replace him at some point. I don't think that's going to be in the next couple of weeks in January, but I don't see Ollie Watkins being a, a Villa striker or the main Villa striker for the next two or three seasons. I think I think he'll get replaced at some point. But for what he lacks in his finishing, he does make up for in his work rate and his hold-up play. And obviously, obviously that doesn't work every single time. But more often than not, if we've created a chance, I feel like Ollie Watkins has probably been involved in, in some aspect. Yeah. Well, strikers will always be judged on goals, but I do think over the last couple of years and moving forward, I don't think that will be so much the case. If if you look at last season in the Premier League, the amount of um, top scorers that there were, if there were strikers on that list, they weren't knocking up 15 plus goals. Um, and we know Watkins can get there. He did it in his first season at Villa under Dean Smith. Although we did have Jack Grealish with him, we now have 
as you say, under Emery, we've got so many different uh, options in the final third. Under Gerard, he didn't have many contributions, but under Emery, if I'm not wrong, he must have had you know a handful of goals and a handful of assists now in what four games. Yeah. So yeah, true. I think he's almost got until the summer to prove himself that he can be that player and it doesn't have to be a player that scores every game because we, I don't actually think that's what we need I'd rather have Ollie Watkins there than a striker who's going to not goal hang because we're not you know playing year six football in the playground but someone who's desperate to score every time I shoot and I know that fans want that they want someone who's desperate to score but for what, what sorry Watkins what Watkins does off the ball as you mentioned it is so integral to the team and he does so much for the team off the ball and in possession, spreading fullbacks. Again, like today in the first goal, he's first off the mark to get that ball, scrappy little, you know, touch and then play back to Buendia. I do think he works better in this system because mm. he's allowed, there isn't so much pressure for him to score goals. I know that sounds silly after the Liverpool game because he had a few, but if Bailey scores both of his goals, if John McGinn scores his header, we win that game 4-3. And no one's really talking about Watkins' misses. We'll rather talk yeah. about header that he scored against Liverpool. Like, I take the point, he's not you know, going to score 20 goals plus every season, but I don't, honestly don't think we need that in this system. If we're playing a one-man striker like we did under Gerrard, then I agree. I don't know if Ollie Watkins is the man for that. But in this particular mm. way that we're playing, I'd like to see how it works out because obviously we're looking at no, wingers, forwards that can complement Watkins. You know, if, is a Gerard Delafoe going to come come in, maybe play alongside him? Is someone else going to come and play alongside him in the summer? I don't know how it works, but Emery's clearly a big fan, and I do back him, uh, Ollie Watkins, to continue as he's going on. Because to me, this is this is fine. I know he's shanked a shot today, but he's also made a goal, and we've won two 0 away at Tottenham against the mm-hmm. top five. So while we want everything to be perfect, I don't think we can be saying. Oh, but his finishing isn't great. He might have done better this one. Why didn't get that shot on target? Because he does make up for it during the 90 minutes. It just doesn't look good when your striker mm. that you're is going to propel you into the top seven doesn't uh, hit the target with a shot that he's made for himself. You know, um, yeah. but as we're going at the moment over the last four games, that's what I'm basing him off. I know mm-hmm. he's only had a tough time of it, but in what we've seen under Emery, I think that if we can continue that, then um, that's a good striker for me. And I've, I always say if Ollie Watkins was clinical in front of goal you're probably looking at like a 60 70 million pound striker and can Villa go out in the market and afford that probably not and if there was a striker there he wouldn't be coming to us he'd be coming to yeah, a that's the problem Champions League team so what striker do Villa buy that's better than Ollie Watkins that's going to do what he does play to Emery's strengths and bang in loads of goals I don't think that striker's available and if it was it's probably someone like an Ivan Tony, and he's not coming to Villa uh, he's better than us so that's my take on it it's a very kind of fair weather comment or fair weather analysis but Ollie Watkins, when we win, it's not really a problem because he's either scored a goal or created a goal or we've won and it doesn't matter that he's not the main goal threat or the goal scorer. We'll talk about the second goal in a sec, but that was made entirely by the midfielders and Kamara winning the ball back and then McGinn playing the assist to, to, to Douglas Louise. Um, you're right about a goal scorer, though, in signing somebody that's coming here, who's your ideal striker? And people say people like Tammy Abraham, but if he's coming for 60 odd million and Tammy Abraham is the focal point, everything goes through him and he scores 10 goals, let's say. Ollie Watkins scores four, but he gets six assists. And we work better as a unit because Ollie Watkins is playing off the left or whatever. And it's a nice system playing together. It almost doesn't matter because you've got 10 goals out of either striker. Do you know what I mean? Like It's not just about his goals specifically. It's yeah. about how it works as, as a unit, as a team. There's a comment earlier on about just turning him into Joe Linton from Liverpool. I don't know whether you could stick Ollie Watkins in, in, in midfield as a number eight or something and hope that that works. But playing him off the left 
or playing in behind a striker and, and being a bit more creative and stretching defences rather than being the last line of defence who's expected to be on the shoulder and score every every chance he gets. That probably isn't Ollie Watkins' game going forward and goes back to my original point that if he is going to be expected to be Villa's main man, I don't think he'll last much longer because he will be expected to chip in with more like 15 goals a season. If he's part of a front three, part of a midfield throw or something if, if that is a tactical tweak that ends up happening which I don't see at all because I don't think I don't want to doubt the lad but I don't know whether he's got the intelligence to play as a midfield role instead possibly play off, you know, play off the left or off the right because he's done that before but whether that happens and he's part of a unit of three he's probably got a, a longer term future if he's the main man I think he'll get replaced at some point yeah, but I, I think you've made the best point there Dan it's I don't think he will be asked to be a main man because I don't know in any Unai Emery team, there, there was a main man. It's always about the team. And as, as we've seen in all the results we've had so far against United, mm. Brighton and today in Tottenham, you can't pick out one player that we've lumped balls to or played off yeah. and used as much as we did, for example, a Grealish or a Benteke or something because we wouldn't be winning those games, in my opinion, because we, that's not how we're supposed to be playing. You know, it, To beat these teams and play well, you've got to play as a team. There's no team that gets into the top seven by using just one striker or using one, you know, or, or sorry, using the goals of a striker to get into Europe. It's not going to happen, I don't think. Um, you know, someone like a Fulham, for example, Mitrovic is scoring all the goals, but everything is played to Mitrovic. That's the whole mm. purpose. They've conceded the most amount of uh, chances in the Premier League Fulham, which is crazy. You would think they'd be down at the bottom, but because of the, they're playing to Mitrovic and it works so well, then that's why they're there. But for us, I don't see us getting that player or Emery wanting to be like that. Um, so for me, I think at the moment, let's, you know, I, I don't know, we all will, let's back Watkins because what we've seen under Emery so far, I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's good. Again, he's had a hatful of assists, a hatful of goals. We can, um, handful, sorry, not hatful. <laughs> we can continue as we're going on because again, we're creating chances. The proof's in the pudding. If Bailey scores those two goals, if McGinn scores his goal, that Liverpool game's different. And um, yeah, it's about the team, isn't it? And I don't think that signing someone like a Tammy Abraham, in my opinion, and relying on him to score goals is going to fix anything or get us in any better position than what we are with Ollie Watkins. You know, people might say, oh, bring in this striker or that striker, but they need to be better than what Ollie Watkins is for Villa as a team, not mm. for how many goals they're going to score, you know, in one-on-ones because it's, you know, it's... Um, it's too bad, I know, just to, to limit it down to that, isn't it? It's fanciful to think that a striker is going to score 15 goals in a season. That does not mean that Villa is going to be in a, be- a better position than what they are now. Mm. It, to me, that doesn't make sense. Well, there's a prime example at Benteke scored 19 <laughs> and we were fighting relegation all season. Yeah. But, you know, like in, those, in those years. Um, the comment here, just quickly on the, the end of Ollie Watkins, not the end of his career, like the end of the discussion on him, um, from Robert, he says, depends on what we want from him. If we can get a front three that shares the goals, he may be a Firmino star, star player for us in the kind yeah. of being man that he isn't the main man. Yeah. However, I would say that in the caveat to that is that if he is involved in a in fluid front three or however you want to phrase it, he's still going to get better with his finishing. Because if yeah. he's going to get four or five chances a game and he only scores one or he doesn't score one at all, some of the time, the amount of times he'll drag a shot, will be off balance, he'll take too many touches. He can certainly improve. So if he can be a good team player off the left, for example, but still chip in with eight or nine goals a season every single year, I think that would be probably the, the middle balance rather than expecting him to be the number nine and get 20 goals and don't really care about anything else. And it's not, again, like I said, we will we, we'll finish, but it's like a, because there's four players 
in any one attacking situation, the burden isn't on Watkins to always score. We could be looking elsewhere and thinking, well, Bailey hasn't scored many goals under Emery yet, or this player hasn't particularly contributed. Just because Ollie Watkins is the striker and he's been playing up front, we shouldn't be focusing on him because we all know that naturally he's a winger. So mm. we bought him as a striker, yes, but in Ono Emery's head, he's probably thinking, well, he's not actually a striker. He's just a, a wide forward or he's a player that splits the fullbacks and then he'll have opportunities every now and again. But in the summer, I'm going to buy a striker that's going to play alongside him and he's going to be my goal scorer. So mm. I think up until that decision is made or up until we bring him more forwards, when it's a clear idea of what he wants out of Ollie Watkins, I think then we can judge him. But for now, since he's been playing with Emery, I think it's been really positive. Mm-hmm. Oh, Talk me through the second goal then. That was a lovely move, wasn't it? Kamara yeah. wins the ball back and plays it off to Louise, I think. Louise uh, effectively a 1-2 with McGinn. And McGinn's ball, I don't know whether enough was made about them, the assist from, on, on Sky it was. Yeah. Didn't really mention it, but he put it on a sixpence for Louise. And Louise with a, a nice touch to get it under control and a lovely little dink. I think it was, um, I can't remember who was in the in the panel. Somebody, the, what, the one guy, oh, I can't remember who it was at all. One of them was saying that it was poor defending from Spurs and the other guy was saying, actually, no, it's a very good finish by Douglas Louise to do that, to have that control and that technique. Somebody will, will, who's actually got a brain in the comments will tell me who I'm talking about here, but they were the only one, Hasselbank, yeah. He he said, like, no, it's actually a really good finish and it, he deserves praise for that. Um, kind of unexpected to a certain extent that, that, that just in the way the goal is formed, that it's the, all the midfielders involved. Kamara wins it back. Plays to Louise, McGinn with the assists, Louise running into the box. Like the strikers and the forwards are nowhere to be seen at that point. It's just this little midfield trio that have worked this move and, and gone forward with it. And yeah, really, really nice goal that underrated, yeah. I think. Yeah, and, but I, th- I suppose if you're a striker, you'd be saying, but I'm the one that's, you know, run off the centre back to create the movement. Yeah, always that sort of thing. But um, yeah, to strip it back, it was uh, Kamara, I think it was, who won the ball off Harry Kane in the first place. So one of his uh, possession, one of the situations that he won the back, the ball back from we've scored uh, from as well so again brilliant performance from him uh, and yeah Louise having the uh, sorry John McGinn having the sort of again the composure to deliver that ball because <laughs> I don't think many players would have uh, they, they, they might have tried to play it but they might have played it across the deck or done anything else with it apart from you know played an accurate ball to Louise and yeah the finish was really good because uh, it was a complicated one to um, you know to score from as well it, you know you can't really lash at those can you mm. uh, so, yeah, no, really good goal. And that definitely gave us the sort of belief, I think, uh, that we could see the game out from there. Because I think after that, that's when Spurs really would be pushing for a goal. And I know we didn't see it, but I think that's because we went 2 0 up. Spurs yeah. always come good in the last 20 minutes of games because, as I say, they haven't lost too many, um, but they always concede first. So I was, you know, not surprised to, to see them not come at us. But again, I think that's because we were 2 0 up and. You know, fair play to the say uh, the midfield is making that goal, and that again, that's good for players like Watkins and our attackers to know that we can score goals behind uh, the forwards as well. You know, mm. like they can chip in, they can make those runs uh, and finish two and win us a game. We say two 0 away at Spurs. It's not all about the strikers getting the goals, but they can play their part as well. There's a comment here saying you're right. More needs to be said about that assist. If that was De Bruyne, dot dot dot. Yeah, exactly. If that's De Bruyne and Haaland who scored that goal today, it's goal of the year already, and no one stops talking about it. I think it's very underrated from certainly from a neutral point of view. People won't watch that because they probably have turned off, won't they? At half time, to be fair, because it's so boring. Um, But yeah, McGinn and Louise linking up in that manner. Yeah, really lovely. Um, Just to round off, then obviously it's the start of a new year, first of January 2023. I think we did a whole podcast on this last year, but I might be mistaken. Like Villa's New Year's resolutions, like what do they need to do this year, kind of thing. It was either a talking point in an episode, or we did a whole show about it. I can't remember. 
to put you on the spot, because we didn't prepare anything for this, if Villa had to have a, a New Year's resolution this year, and I'll ask the same to the comments as well, and we'll get a bit of a discussion going, what's their, what's their one thing they need to sort this this month or this this, uh, this year? Become consistent. It has to be that. Hmm. Like, I think I said that last year. <laughs> yeah, with him, but it has to be right, because under Dean Smith, we had that year of, oh, we do well, and then we have a few games, and we dip, and then we have a manager being sacked. Under Gerard. Hmm. We would win four, lose four, win four, and then you know after we beat like Leeds away and Southampton at home, that little run, it was mm-hmm. then rotten. And then obviously the start of the season was horrendous. Um, but we have the players to become a good team, and we obviously have the manager now, who's a world class manager and elite manager. We need to be consistent. If we're not consistent, then <laughs> we're not going to get anywhere fast, are we? We'll be finishing in twelfth every year. So to be getting in the positions we need to get into, and something that we haven't done before is achieve consistency. Mm. I think I think what we said last year was Villa playing for full ninety minutes and being in the game for ninety minutes instead of just appearing for forty yard and, yeah, and you play once you you're losing or whatever. Actually, like start a game, play well, and hold on to it throughout the whole game. Yeah. Um, and I'll say probably the same thing again. The same kind of thing as you: consistency. Try and be more of a yeah. like level team instead of being massively high or massively low. Just be consistently better. Yeah. Um, so from Steve, he says to finish ninth or above this season. Uh, Dream Villa says aim for a top seven finish. I mean, if that's the, the end of this season, I think that's probably a tough a- ask. If we're counting 2023 as a whole and the back end of the first, <laughs> the first half of next season to be pushing for top seven, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, constant improvement says Tom and a cup run, please. We'll talk about the cup in a sec. Joshua, top 10 and a cup run. Uh, consistency and a top 10 finish, say Rachel. Agreed, yeah. I think top 10 this season is certainly achievable. So one minor gripe with today, that a win doesn't doesn't move you up any positions that were still 12th, I think, yeah. after a win. That's annoying, isn't it? Yeah, it's always yeah. nice to actually physically move up the side when, you, when you've got points. Yeah. Um, quick, quick looking ahead to the next four or five games, if we include the cup game. We've talked about the four that we've just had under Emery. Man United, Brighton, two wins. Liverpool and Boxing Day, which was a defeat, which maybe goes slightly differently on, on another day. And obviously today, three wins from four. The next four certainly sound easier. Wolves, Leeds, Southampton, Leicester. Four of those five games are at home, if you count the cup game, which is Stevenage. So it's Wolves, Stevenage at home, Leeds away, I think, and then Southampton, Leicester at home, if I remember right. Um, so if you're looking at those next four, we're talking about nine from 12 for Emory so far. Is it nine from 12 again? Do you think? I mean, because it's an easier run of games now. I know it doesn't work like that, but yeah, that's that we're saying about consistency, but I need to see it to believe it because I'm going into the Wolves game and I'm thinking that's going to be really tough. And I've said it for a couple of weeks. It's just, it's not a game that Villa win 2 0 and it's done by half time, even though which one's away then? Uh, Leicester's away, isn't it? Leicester, I'm sorry. Because uh, it got called off the home game early in the season. I think, uh, to be honest, you're going into every, all of those games looking to win, aren't you? Which is good. Southampton's away. We're a right pair, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Leicester's away. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, it's Wolves at home, Stevenage at home, Leeds at home, Southampton away, Leicester at home. We won't sure. talk about Manchester, Manchester City and Arsenal in a row. Just talk about the next four first. Okay. Um, yeah, well, we are going into every one of those games looking to get three points. It makes it even easier now that we know that Leicester's at home. Um, so, I, I mean, it sounds it sounds like we're asking too much to get uh, max points out of it. But 
I'm telling you now, if we don't win one of those games, there'll be comments after the game saying, oh, we need a new striker or we need a new right back. This is wrong. This is bad. <laughs> We're not going to win all of those games, I don't think, because it is the Premier League and some of those teams are going to be scrapping for their um, you know, futures as Premier League players soon, I think. Southampton players in particular. Also, um, the kind of my law of averages argument is that Villa won't win five Premier League games in a row. That's my point. Yeah, it's not it going to happen. It doesn't happen, does it? But so if, it's yeah. as easy as the next the next four games, or six games, or whatever it is. You don't win that many games in a row unless you're Man City, and even they don't do it. They drop points this week as well. Yes. I think if you get seven or eight points from twelve, I think that's a pretty good good haul. Oh, if you consider if you consider that it, that it would then be something like sixteen from twenty four or something, I think that's probably a good. I mean, good I think turn. I think out of the five. I'd be disappointed if we don't win at least four of them, though. And I know that sets a bit of a high bar, but I do believe that we should be beating Wolves at home. We should be beating Leeds at home. We should be beating Southampton. That's free, sorry. <laughs> and then obviously Stevenage. Should be beating Stevenage. So, uh, you know, without putting pressure on um, no results or anything, I think that's probably where we're at now. We should be going into those games and feeling confident, um, take them in isolation, take a game every time. We're going into every one of those games being the favourites, are we not? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the first time that we've been playing teams below us. I think everyone we've played so far under Emery has been above us in the league and we've obviously done pretty well in that that sense. Um, so coming from Gary saying, we do this every time, don't tempt fate, lads. Yeah, it'll be something like four points out of the next four, won't it? But I think you're right in saying that if you win the four home games, which are, but then that, that means winning four games in a row with Spurs, Wolves, Stevenage, Leeds, and that just doesn't seem realistic for us to do that. Well, it's like Newcastle, they won five games in a row and then they had Leeds at home and you're thinking, well, they're going to win that and then they don't. So yeah. you are right. It, we're going to hit a roadblock at some point. But the point <clears> being, <throat> I think just going into those games thinking, oh, we should be winning that is probably a bonus in itself. It's That's a plus. Mm. I think, you know, if we're not on the sort of crash of the wave that we are at the moment, we're going into Wolves and thinking, oh, that'll be tough. Southampton away or we don't do away from home. Uh, Leicester, they're not so bad. But instead, we are going into it with a different mindset, which is a positive. You know, so we're... You know, you go into games looking forward to it. You know, we're going to watch an Emery team today and hopefully win. So, true. Onwards and upwards, and yeah, great way to um, start twenty twenty three. It is a nice, it is a nice feeling to go into games and think I fancy us. Exactly, I fancy us today. That's that's a nice situation to be in, even if it doesn't end up in the result. But then at least the disappointment of thinking, oh, we should have won today, but we didn't. But so that's just football, isn't it? That's how the players will be thinking as well, and that's that can only be a good thing for confidence. And um, I mentioned earlier, I know we haven't spoken about it, and we probably won't because time's coming up. But um, the January window as well, if you're a player mm. that you know Villa have tapped you up, and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to go to Villa. I honestly think we're probably the most attractive club to join that isn't in the top six mm. slash Newcastle. Um, because they're in the top six, well in it. <laughs> yeah, but you, you know your top six teams plus Newcastle because the likes of West Ham, Everton, all of those ones that are. You know, comparable to us over recent years, should we say? Uh, I think they're probably beneath us now mm. in the league. Um, and all of those clubs have got a sort of not an uncertain future. But you, know, you look at West Ham; they're probably going to sell Declan Rice. There, you know, Moyes is he going to be there? But with Villa, it's like, oh, they have got a really good team, got a new manager. They played really well today, beat Spurs two 0 nine points out of twelve against tough teams. It's clearly, a club on the up. Mm. So continue that into the summer as well. That that's um, yeah, loads to look forward to. There was a comment just saying if you could if you had to lose one of the five games but it meant you won the other four, would you take that hypothetical scenario? And if so, which one would you be okay to lose to guarantee winning the other four? <laughs> would you lose the FA Cup game to win the four league games? No, no. No, no, you I want to go far in the cup. I, I'd take yeah, a lot of uh, 
to any of them if it meant winning four because if that's the scenario that we're saying because you're, you're maxing out on a lot of points there aren't you because you know mm. if you draw one then you, you're dropping two points um, so yeah if, if you're going to offer it me I'd win four out of five but again you're going into one of those games looking like you're going to win so max if we do get max points that'll be some uh, some start for Emery that losing just once yeah. in the games but well, will that be five six seven eight eight wins out of nine would that be and the only one loss being the first game back after a six-week break against Liverpool. Uh, yeah. Not a bad record, is it? Yeah. But I'll tell you what, if we... <laughs> I don't know, I'm, I was about to say, like, oh, we'll do something if, like, if that happens, like, a, as, like, a mini forfeit. If we're doing a podcast in four oh, or five weeks' time and we've got maximum points, we'll do it wearing blue shirts or something. Because I just don't think that that will happen. I'm not going to do that. There's your challenge, Unai, if you're watching this. You get maximum points in the Premier League and I'll host the, the next podcast after that in a blue shirt because I'm so convinced that Villa will not win six Premier League games in a row or whatever. It just won't happen. Silly. But challenge challenge there for you. You're going to be stressing in that Leicester game when we're <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it, mate. I don't mind. I'll just have to have a deep, deep clean after wearing it. Um, John, thank you very much for joining me this uh, New Year's Day. It's been a pleasure to chat to you uh, about all things Villa as always thanks everyone for tuning in the comments over 700 people watching uh, at 7 o'clock on a Sunday evening so thank you very much for that podcasting your boxers like Lineker on Match of the Day you don't want to see that trust me that's not something you want to see at all um, yeah thanks everyone for watching it's been it's always nice isn't it to do one of these after Villa have won it's a better mood it's just nice to be looking forward to the next game and not thinking oh, don't fancy us there that could be a slog it's now how many hours is it till we play Wolves at Villa Park? Get me there, get me there. When's the next game? Um, so, yeah, thanks everyone for watching. We'll be back um, either Wednesday night after the Wolves game or Thursday morning, depending on how things go. And, um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for watching, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue and Aston Villa Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your thoughts and comments. We'll be back soon with another episode, but until then, up the villa. Up the villa.